Today we're finishing up our summer worship series. It's been three months teaching and talking about worship. And it's not all-inclusive. There's more messages in the context of worship, but I want to sum it up today in the context of singing a new song and dancing before the Lord. There's been a lot of misunderstanding in what it looks like to sing and dance and a lot of pressure, a lot of quirky weirdness that comes with it, and I want to set a lot of that straight today, all right? First of all, it's easy to sing and dance when you've just received a miraculous breakthrough. Now, you know my story. I came right out of the world. I was in reggae bands. I was a deadhead. I saw 45 Grateful Dead concerts, reggae bands, tons of wild parties, raves. I'd twirl glow sticks and fire sticks at raves. I would eat mushrooms and trip acid and just party to no end. You all know that story, or you should. If you don't, I know you're a little shocked right now, but that was 35 years ago, so it's, I'm a new man now, fully. And, um, you know, it was easy for me to party and drink and to cut loose because I was uninhibited, right? And then, of course, in church, fortunately, I wasn't raised in church, so I had no grid or bearing of what was normal or abnormal. I didn't know what was expected and what true worship looked like. I didn't even know that the Bible already defined what worship looks like for us, that we just have to do what the Lord tells us to do in the moment and be spirit-led in our worship. I didn't know any of that. But what I did know is that when I came into the, to the house of God, the very first church that I ever went to was very similar to this. And I thought it was a little strange, and I thought that it was a little bit weird because I had never seen it before. And the only grid that I had for church was when I went to church in the early 80s. I went to the Baptist, the Lutheran, the Methodist churches. I went to all the denominational churches in my small town in Missouri. So I had never seen a church like this. I'd never been to a church that had a band back then. And when I first came into church, I was, I was kind of intrigued and fascinated but I also realized that there was purity in it, that people were being authentic and people were getting free. And so I didn't have a skeptical thing inside of me. I wasn't looking down on them because I had no other grid. I just walked in, I saw people being free, people crying out, people expressing their love to the Lord. I saw a band that I'd never seen before and up on stage was a pair of congas. I played congas then and still do what you see them up there. I don't play all the time. I play as the Lord leads. And I was like, I really want to play those. And the Lord had set me up, and it was then that I got on the worship team. And ever since then, I used my gift and my talents for the Lord. But a lot of people don't have a healthy grid when it comes to authentic worship for various reasons. Maybe tradition, maybe how you were raised, maybe the things you saw from your family. And so sometimes you can walk in, and it feels a little abnormal, and I understand that. This culture is different by design. You have flags, you have people crying out, you have people up front on their face worshiping, you have people lifting up their hands. In the second service, you have children for the first 20 or 30 minutes, and then they go back to class. Now, our first service is designed a little bit different. It's shorter, it's for those that maybe struggle with longer worship, and also the kids go straight back to class. So we offer a variety of worship experiences so people can kind of come into the more that God has for them. Our motto at Rock City Church is because there's more. God has more in store for us. And my job as a pastor is to challenge people to go deeper into the more that God has for them. 
God doesn't want to leave us the same, amen? He'll do whatever he can to shift us. He doesn't let us stay in dead religion. He doesn't let us stay the same as the way we were raised. He wants more for all of us. And that looks like whatever God wants it to look like for you. Now, we're going to tackle this understanding of singing and dancing. And when something great happens, a super miraculous event happens in your life, it's easy to sing, and it's easy to rejoice, and it's easy to dance. Now, we're going to tackle this dancing thing because some of you can't dance. I can't dance the way that I once did. I'm about to be 53 years old. My back, I know, I know. My back, I, you know, I've, I broke my pinky toe about three months ago, kicking it on something. I re-injured it this morning. I'm walking into church with a limp. My, I struggle breathing sometimes because you know I've battled against asthma. And sometimes it's really, really difficult. For some of you, you can't dance like you once did. You're not as good as you once were, but you're as good once as you ever were, right? I also get it after some of you. This is about the most we're ever gonna get, right? Right, because the dancing in here is not the two-step. It's not the foxtrot. It's not the waltz. It's not, I don't know. And so we kind of have this little hop thing going on. And, but the point is, is that you move with the Lord. And we've taught all summer long about the, the multiple different expressions of worship. It can be kneeling. It can be lifting your hands. It can be lying prostrate. It can be just the instruments on the stage with no singing. It can be just singing or acapella. So the Bible clearly defines what worship already looks like. What I want you to know is I never want you to feel shame or pressured that you have to do something, ever. And I want you to come to a place where you're not worried what other people think about you. Please understand that the foolishness of God is of the wisest of men. Unless you become like a child, you don't see the kingdom of God, right? And so there's gotta be this somewhat foolishness and childlikeness. Last week, we talked about undignified and how trying to, to maintain your dignity will rob you from being undignified. But it doesn't mean reckless or lawless. It doesn't mean in the flesh. But you have to realize when there's hundreds of people in the presence of God coming up for worship, you, people are gonna get ignited uniquely and differently. Some people will be in the flesh. Some people will act out. Some of it won't be the Lord sometimes. So what do you do about that? You put a sign on the wall that says, thou shalt not shout out. You shall not cry out. You shall not dance in the flesh. Don't be loud. Don't be distracting. No. Culture defines the language and culture defines what's normal. You have to understand the culture of this house. That we move together and we work together. And when somebody steps out of that culture, you don't go up and correct them or kick them out of the church. You lovingly try to coach them through what this culture looks like. Right, Kayla? So Kayla came here the first time, maybe a month ago, got lit up right off the bat. We're singing a sweet song that's, that's peaceful and quiet, and she's shouting out and praying in tongues. Now, that showed me something about her. She's passionately hungry for the things of God. But when she cried out, and how she cried out didn't fit the moment. Right? So it was an incredible opportunity for me to coach her. And I even did it publicly and it was beautiful and she received it because that moment would not have happened had she not said yes. And I want to say that since that time, I am so proud of you. 
I cannot even tell you how proud of you I am. And if you only knew the things going on in her personal life and the things that God's showing her. And some people were probably offended. Why is she crying out? Why is she shouting out? What's the matter with her? What's she doing? And we're so consumed with what other people are doing instead of what the Lord wants to do, right? You understand that? And so for me, what I want is an atmosphere of freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, that's exactly right. So what we're trying to do is have an atmosphere and a culture of honor before the Lord. David would sing repeatedly in the presence and the multitude of your congregation. I will sing a new song. The Lord inhabits or sets up a throne in the midst of his people when they praise God. Amen? So it's easy to sing and dance and shout when things are going your way. For me, when I got miraculously set free from drug addiction, drug dealing, all my past, all my brokenness, orphan spirit, my dad left my mom and I when I was one. My multimillionaire blood father jetted on my 24-year-old Greek mother, and I was stuck at a babysitter while she worked two jobs for the, for, from five to about 10. I didn't have a heavenly father. And even when, a, when an earthly father came into my life, I didn't have somebody pointing me to the heavenly father. So when I got rescued by the heavenly father and found a dad that I never had, you can bet that I was rejoicing because I was rescued from being an orphan and alone and scared as a kid. So when God came into my life, man, it was like, woo, thank you, God, you rescued me. Literally, I was delivered from a spirit of bondage and being an orphan. And that orphan spirit is brutal. It hammers you. You feel alone. You protect yourself. You preserve yourself. Some of you know it so well. But see, you can't be a son and be a victim. You're no longer an orphan. When you get rescued, you've been set free from your past, your failures in your past, present, and tomorrow, right? So singing and dancing when something great happens, the most miraculous thing you could ever imagine. I'll give you an example, Miriam. How many of you know the story of Miriam? So Miriam, basically Moses and Aaron's sister, Miriam, when, they, when the Israelites came through the Red Sea, let's pull it up. It's uh, Exodus 15, 20. This is an incredible scripture because when Miriam came out with all of Israel into the desert, the Bible says that she took instruments and she began to dance, and then she sung a new song. It's Exodus 15, 20. She sang a new song before the Lord. Now, let me help you to understand what happened that morning. The Israelites had just been set free of 400 years of slavery, 400 years. It was harsh. It was oppressive right before they left. So God, you know the story. God would send the plagues, and ultimately, they would hightail it out of Egypt. Not only did they hightail it out of Egypt, they plundered Egypt and took gold, silver, and all, the, all kinds of clothing with them. They were, they were fully provided for. So that morning, when they were hemmed in at the Red Sea, all of them were complaining, saying, we're going to die. They're complaining to Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt just to die? And then Moses like, stand still. You're going to see the deliverance of the Lord. The Israelites and Pharaoh and their chariots are descending upon them. You guys know this story. Ultimately, Moses would raise his staff. The Red Sea would part. 
through they go, and then the, the ocean would close back in and kill Pharaoh and all the horsemen and chariots. So when she comes out on the other side of one of the most difficult situations, literally, she danced, and the women had a celebration. And she sang this song. In this song, she says, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has has been thrown into the sea. When you go from the ultimate low to the ultimate high, how many of you know that experience? Like, like the most radical break that, like in the moment, you don't know how you're gonna make it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes through. Joseph is a great example. In prison for years, interpreting dreams, trusting God, but you can bet that he was struggling in his heart. And in an instant, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. All he had time to do was shave, cut his hair, change his shirt, and go stand before Pharaoh. That's why you must understand, there's no time for preparation when promotion comes. Either you're ready or you're not. You don't know what God has in store for you tonight or tomorrow. And yet we complain and we struggle and we worry and we doubt and we have fear. But God works all things together for the good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's everybody say this. Say, I am called. If you are called, which you all are, then God has a plan. No matter the circumstance or situation, no matter how hard it is. And look, my life has been a poster child of suffering. Three category five hurricanes, prison, divorce, lost a child at 32 weeks. Three pneumonias, almost died. Anaphylactic shock, woke up 12 hours later. All the blood vessels were broken. I can go down the list of hardship and suffering. But in all those, I responded right and trusted God instead of letting it beat me down and going into a victim mentality of shame and why poor little old me, why God? Because I know God's good. I know what he took me out of. I know he's kind and he's loving. But when it's hard, and when it's difficult, you've got to understand that singing a new song and praising God is key. Let's look at Psalm 30 for a moment. Let me summarize Psalm 30. It starts out with, I will extol the Lord. Then it goes into, I'm gonna die. I'm going into the grave. Life is terrible. What good am I? Just complaining. Remember, 32 Psalms are open complaints to God. God can handle your complaint. The problem is when you get on the phone, And you start gossiping and complaining to one another. We're all going to go through it. But I take it to God. That's what you have to do is take it to God. Amen? Because every time, ready to say every time. Say it again. Say God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. God never stops being good. There's no shadow of turning. So no matter your situation, you're trusting him. And in Psalm 30, verse 11... The whole psalm is, man, all night long I've been weeping. The, verse five says, though weeping endures for the night, joy comes in the morning. So, so David's literally either in massive amount of sickness or he's in the worst situation of adversity and suffering he's ever been in. So now you have to picture this. And then something miraculous happens to him and he says this, you have turned for me my mourning into, into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. Now, what's sackcloth? Sackcloth is hopelessness and despair. Sackcloth is I'm at the lowest of my lowest. I'm at the worst of my worst. 
I am literally ashes, dust, sackcloth. God takes that mourning and the despair and the hopelessness and he clothes you with gladness and he takes your mourning and he turns it into dancing. That's what I believe for because I tend to go through a lot of mourning. How about you? In verse 12, it all has a purpose. You've got to see this. Everybody say, to the end. Say it again. Say it again. To the end, which means you're staying the course, but you're not just barely surviving. You're not just barely making it. God has a purpose to the end. This is why you've got to understand the power of gratitude and thankfulness. It's that no matter what you're facing, you must learn to be thankful when it's painful because it will be painful. We're in a broken world. We're in the broken people business. People are messy. We all have things that God wants to deal with or resolve. We all have to learn how to walk in perfect love. People are broken. People have past. People have struggles. People believe lies. All of us go through it, which is why we need a baptism of honesty in this church. Because if you can't be honest with one another and you can't tell on yourself, then you bottle it up. I tell on myself all the time, all the time, especially to the Lord, because if you tell on yourself, the devil has nothing to say. To the end that my glory may sing praise, notice what David says, to the end that my glory, you know what this word for glory is? It's the word soul. You know what your soul is? It's the seat of your mind, will, and emotions. God wants to deal with our feelings and emotions. God wants to deal with the things inside of our heart. And even adversity, when when God brings you through it, it always leads you to this end. But what if you could do it in advance? What if it wasn't just post-trauma or trouble? What if it was during or even before, right? To the end, that my glory or my soul may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I'll give thanks to you forever. And the devil wants us to be silent. He wants us to retreat. He wants us to bottle it up. He wants us to isolate. He wants to say, I'll never love again. He wants us to be scorned lovers where we basically preserve ourselves. It's self-preservation at its finest. Miriam went from morning in the morning to dancing in the evening. David would understand that no matter what he faces, Think of all the Psalms, which by the way, are songs. Have you ever read the Psalms or a Psalm and you're like, how could this ever be a song? Because I can't picture chorus and verse to some of these words. Like, how did this get sung? Do you ever think that? Because it's not about the music or the sound, it's about the song of your heart. It's about authenticity coming out of you in the midst of the circumstance. Notice Miriam says, sing, to the Lord. David clearly loved to sing and dance and praise and worship. Psalm 149, verse three, let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. Psalm 150, verse four, praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. And of course, last week I taught you about how David danced before the ark of God. The first time he put the ark on a cart behind oxen, which was not the way that he was supposed to do it. 
It was the easy way, the conventional way, the popular way, the way that eased burdens off other people. Sometimes this is uncomfortable. Long extended worship of maybe lyrics you don't know, prophetically singing in an atmosphere like this for 45 minutes. It'd be so much easier to can it, package it, 20 minutes, three fast, two slow, easy, you know the song. And we put the presence of God on a cart and say, let's do it the easy way. Versus saying, God, we want what you want and we want this whole place to be an altar. And then the priests are designed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder. And so when Uzziah died for touching the Ark and trying to steady it when the oxen stumbled, which my point last week was in systematic worship and controlled worship, the oxen will always stumble. Every time. And I don't want to die. Uzziah died right next to the ark. Can you imagine? The ark is a picture of the presence of God. And David was angry. He was mad at God and he was just mad in general. One of, he, this big party's going on. He's celebrating, he's dancing, the whole procession. And all of a sudden, his main guy that went to stop the ark from flipping over died. And he was angry. But David knew how to run to the Lord. How many of you have come from broken church backgrounds? How many of you have had somebody try to steady the ark of God in your life? Are you going to stay angry like David in the moment? Because 90 days later, David figured out, hey, the ark and the cart's not going to work. We got to get this on the shoulders of the priests, the Levitical priests. And what did they do? Six paces. Four, five, six. The ark, which weighed hundreds of pounds, Six paces, worship. What if every six paces of your life you worshiped? That's the premise. Is long before it got to Jerusalem, long before it found its resting place in the tabernacle of David. And this is what I want you to understand today. You don't know what God's got for you tonight or tomorrow. And what if God had an amazing plan and purpose and while you're in waiting, you're complaining. You're in fear. And it happens sometimes. I understand. That's why we pull the mercy card all the time. For the Lord is good and is... Thank God for the mercy or we'd all be dead. I love the mercy of God and I'm very merciful. But I have to tell you, the fastest way to keep you from the promised land is, the, is complaining. And boy, do I have a lot to complain about every day. Some of y'all make me want to complain. I will make you want to complain. So David would leap and twirl and uncover himself. Now, I don't want any of you to take your clothes off and worship. Please, for the love, do not do that. When David uncovered himself and all you saw was the linen ephod, it was a picture of no shame and fear, a worry of what other people thought. You know, when Saul was persecuting David, do you guys know, remember the story? Saul's persecuting David and he goes to where all the prophets were and they were prophesying. You know what it says he did? He laid naked all night long. Why? Because in the presence of God, nothing can be hidden. All, all shame, all lies, all self-preservation comes off. And I, as the pastor, must create an atmosphere that is conducive to us, in a sense, taking off our coverings and being safe. Which is why as much as people need to be safe and we not need to not worry about what other people think. On the flip side, you have to stop being the skeptic. 
Do you know what the Greek word for skeptic is? It's scorpion. Skeptic eyes are scorpion eyes. Oh, I get it. There's some stuff that you can be skeptical about sometimes. And sometimes somebody's acting out in a way it's not the Lord. Are you going to trust the culture and trust the atmosphere? Are you going to trust if Lacey comes up to you gently and lovingly says, hey, let me pray for you or let me love on you. That's what happened with Kaylin. At first she was like, you don't want to know what she said to Kevin when he came up to her. She's like, get the blank, I'm going to worship. And... Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Because that's her, her nature. And that happens sometimes. But we must love and learn that God is leading us together as a tribe. I don't have it all figured out. You want me to study the ark? You want me to try to fix this and make it pretty and shiny so more people come and it's more popular? Heck, this is, I am not that guy. Amen. You know, there's a time to weep and mourn. There's a season for it. Sometimes you're going to come in and, yeah, the atmosphere may be festive and joyous and all you can do is weep and cry. But what I don't want you to do is ever be in shame or victim mentality. We had a guy that got born again, set free, flamed on, on fire, spirit-filled in this house. Six months later, he backslid. He used to be up here in the front worshiping all the time. Wild, wild child. Right next to me. Till he backslid. Then I didn't see him for a little while. Just MIA. That's what so many people say. Where did, where did they go? Oh, I'm in sin. Okay, stay away from God's house. That's not the answer. We even had people say, well, I'm going through a really hard time right now, and I don't really want everybody to see what I'm going through. <laughs> this is where you need to be when you're going through your hardest times. I've never retreated from the house of God, no matter what I face. And there's times I drag myself in here. I don't want to be here. I want to stay home and in bed. And I know that's some of y'all watching online right now. That's okay. I love you. I love you no matter what. And I said to, to the guy came in. I won't tell you who he is. He sat down in the front row like this, full of shame. You know what I did? Now I'm in relationship with him. I came down. I said, dude, look at me. You're a son. Get Come here. And I grabbed him by the arm, pulled him out of the chair, took him out to the front, and I stood behind him, and I held his arms up. And he broke open weeping and crying. And I said, you praise God no matter what. It doesn't matter what you did last night. Think of the, the tax collector beating his chest. We all make mistakes and failures. When, when did you believe the lie that you could not come into God's house and worship because of your shortcomings and your failures? That's when you need to worship more. You think I worship God because I'm the, the great Pharisee? I'm not a Pharisee. I worship God not because I tithe and fast and show up. And, no, I worship God because I'm broken. I'm desperate. I'm in need. And the minute that I think that I'm not and I stop is the minute this church has a problem. But there's a time 
to weep. Look at what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. There is a time. Everybody say, there is a time. To weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And sometimes my time's to weep and mourn. It's not always the time to dance. Let me, let me set you free from that. And also, let me say, there's never shame. Stop feeling pressure. Some of y'all can't at least dance in your heart, rejoice with others, celebrate what God's doing in others. You know, there's gonna come a time where I probably can't do much but this, right? But at least I'm celebrating and I'm loving watching the teens and the junior high because when we hold back, they hold back because they learn from us. My son will be just like me. You know what I want my nine-year-old son to see? A radical on fire dad that was like David. We say, God, give me a heart like David, but we won't do what David did. And I don't want you to do what he did with Bathsheba. What I do want you to do is to worship God with all your might, and I want you to do it how God shows you. I don't care how you do it, just do what he tells you to do. Stop feeling pressure. Stop trying to feel like you have to do it or looks or being self-conscious. This isn't a self-conscious atmosphere. At some point you say, I don't care. I'll be a fool for Christ. I want on my tombstone to say, he was a really, really, really big, big, big fool for Christ. Because when you lose your image, God says, now I can give you my image. When you lose your dignity, you become undignified. Because remember what dignity is. Dignity is this desire to earn the honor and respect for others or even to command it by the way that I carry myself. And that's what's infiltrated the Western Americanized church. Pastors all over. I'm the pastor. Where's my army? My men of God. I'm untouchable. I'm the man of the cloth. What I say goes. I'm the chief apostle and you better do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, then you're out. That's institutionalized church. Institutionalized church creates uniformity to the pastor. Non-institutionalized church or corporate church creates unity to the Holy Spirit. I don't need the best seat at the table. I don't need to command you to give dignity to my life. I'll carry myself in a way where God will promote. God is the one that fights for you. Remember that. God is the one that promotes your life. When you make yourself of no reputation, what does God do? He gives you a reputation. That's what he did to Jesus. So there is a time. But I wanna make sure that you understand this one thing more than anything else today. There may not be a time to dance or shout, but there's always a time to sing a new song to the Lord. The Bible says explicitly this phrase six times. Sing a new song to the Lord. Six times. And then it's full of patriarchs and matriarchs and men and women of God singing a new song to the Lord. Do you know that I have instructed the worship team, throw your set list out. I'm tired of set lists. We're not a glorified cover band. Now, sometimes I love those other songs, but I wouldn't trade Mark and Nathan and the worship that we've experienced today for anything ever again. Those songs that Gabby and the team sings week in and week out and Michaela are moving my heart and shifting this church because now we're singing from the heart of God in the moment. Sometimes that's the song of another, but I don't wanna keep singing somebody else's experience and song. I wanna sing a new song to the Lord. A new song is a new song and it's not based on music. It's based on the song of your heart. Six times. 
And rooted in all those six times, what I want you to know, there's adversity, there's suffering, there's hardship, there's difficulties. All those new songs weren't just when everything's great, but the best songs come out of your pain. Now, I don't sing very well, and my wife reminds me of that, which I love. It's our anniversary today, by the way. 12 years today. I love you so much, Amber Bendette. I love you so much. So I like to sing, but I don't sing. She's like, why do you always sing in that tone? I'm like, that's the only tone I have. It's tenor. It's like one tone, right? But see, this is the thing about a new song is it doesn't matter how it sounds. It doesn't matter what the music is. What matters is that it's coming from authenticity in your heart. And recently, we've been going through some extremely difficult situations. I got up in the morning, and I was out to get in the trash cans or taking the trash out or something early in the morning, and just out of my mouth started to come a new song. Now, I sing new songs all the time. Remember, sometimes I don't talk to my kids. I only sing to them. And I tell my kids, don't talk to me. Only sing back. Hey, Zion, how are you today? I'm good. I'm okay. And we just sing in the kitchen, right? Because I want to teach my children to sing. Now, some of y'all, you don't sing that great, but the Lord loves your song. And when you're in the shower, the car, or out alone, you sing. And I'm going to sing to you a new song that I sang to the Lord. And I got my phone out and I wrote it. Now, be patient because I'm not a great singer, but I'm putting myself out there. I said, Lord, no matter what I do, I put my trust in you. Lord, no matter what I do, <clears throat> I know that you're faithful. No matter what I see, I know that you are good. No matter what I face, I'm going to trust you. And I love you no matter what comes my way. I'm going to trust you every single day. Every single day and every single way, I'm going to trust you, Lord. No matter what I face, I'll keep running my race, Lord, no matter my difficulty. I know that you are good, God. Woo! Yeah! Now listen, that's a new song to me and the Lord. And when you can learn to sing your new song constantly, because a new song is new, and it's based on your situation and your circumstance and the cry of your heart, sing, beloved. I don't care how bad you sing. God loves it. Because it's from your heart and it's authentic. And there's something about the air pipes and the movement of your, of your larynx, your voice box, your instrument in your throat. There's something when you lift your hands and sing to God. We sing a new song to the Lord, both corporately and personally. You know, when the band, let me just tell you what's happening when Mark and, and they're all singing a new song. You know what I'm doing? I'm, sing I'm engaged with them, and I'm singing with them. And then many times I go off on my own, and I start singing a new song to the Lord. I love this atmosphere. I love a house where I can come and be free. Do you know that in your most difficult circumstances, all the highs and lows, no matter what you're facing at all times, that the Lord loves you so much and that he's constantly thinking about you? Do you know that? This is the problem is most of us don't really know the heart of the father. We know the heart of a master slave God 
he's a master, I'm a slave, and if I'm not doing right or obedient, he's mad at me. And then I let God down, and then he loves me, he loves me not. You guys understand? That's religion at its finest. That's not how you treat a son or a daughter. All day long, I think about my nine-year-old son and my 10-year-old daughter and my five-year-old little girl, and I love their hugs and I love their love and I think about them and I wanna be with them all the time. And the Bible says that if you were to count the thoughts that God thinks about you, you know how much it would be? More than the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. He says all day long, everybody say all day long. All day, say it again, all day long. But see, you think he's more concerned about the wars on the other side of the world, but all day long he cares about you because you're a son or a daughter. So he's always, the, in fact, the Bible says, is my arm too short? He's like, this is God. My arm, is it too short to save you? And he says, all day long, I stretch out my arm. (sighs) All day long, the Lord is stretching out his arm to you. In fact, check this out. Do you know that the Lord is constantly singing and dancing and rejoicing over your life right now? I want to be that dad. I want you to be that mom. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord God, let's make it personal. The Lord God is in our midst or my midst or this house. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know that? Now, what's the purpose of God rejoicing over you and singing over you? to quiet you with his love. You know why? Because all these lies, all these fears, all the money pressure, I got five coffee shops, we got a growing church, we're building a new sanctuary, and I, forget all that. I got three ki- little kids. Nothing is as hard as parenting. They go sideways, they kick, they fight, they bite. One minute I'm getting love, and one minute they want nothing to do with me. I don't know what it is about kids. Nothing is as hard as parenting. Right? So what happens when you understand what the Lord's doing and who he is? It quiets you with his love. It quiets the voices in my head. The lies, the fears, the worries, the doubts, and the anxiety. There's a time to weep and mourn and a time to dance. Now, let me help you understand this. When you mourn, really we're mourning for a couple things. We mourn because of failures and shortcomings and sin, and we also mourn for others that are hurting and broken. We live in a very broken, fallen world. Would you agree? We should feel the pain from Morocco. We should feel the pain for what's happened in Lebanon. Thousands of people dying in a flood. Thousands of people dying in in an earthquake. We should mourn with the church. There's a time to mourn and a time to weep. We should feel that pain. We should feel the pain of our sin and our brokenness, right? It's like, man, I, I, I fail, but I'm not in shame. I just feel the, the gravitas of that. A great example of that is this mindset that we mourn for a reason and we sing and dance for another. Matthew eleven sixteen. but what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. You know what this means? Many people don't understand this scripture. I'm gonna break it down for you. The next verse, I know it really well. John the Baptist came, not eating and drinking, and they said he had a demon. Repentance, brokenness, funeral dirge, the blues. Jesus came eating and drinking, 
and they said he's a drunkard and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors or a sinner. And then Jesus said, wisdom's justified by her children. There's, there is this contrast. John the Baptist, repentance of sin, remission of sin, confession of sin, the funeral dirge, the death, the baptism, the blues. Jesus, the bridegroom, you are betrothed and engaged and there's a wedding feast coming. Everybody say, I'm engaged. I'm engaged. Woo, yeah! There's a banquet coming. For Come on, guys. I don't even think you understand. This is why Paul was like, get me out of here there. Because there is a wedding feast being prepared for you. You are the bride of Christ. And Jesus has already come. And instead of, instead of beating people up, he said, come sit with me at the table. So what did they say? It's like children in the marketplace. Like, man, we played the funeral dirge. We sung the blues and you didn't weep. But we got out the flute and it's like wedding song and you didn't dance. I'm gonna close with this. One of the greatest signs of Christian maturity is the ability to have immovable trust and faith in God regardless of your circumstance. You're immovable no matter your circumstance. And that you also don't let that circumstance rob your joy and your peace. Listen to me. This is not always easy, and sometimes it's harder said than done. And I often think to myself, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and there remains a rest now, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 3 and 4, if there remains a, a rest now, why do I always feel like I'm fighting for peace and rest? Anybody else ever feel that? It's like, but that's the tension. The tension is we fight the good fight of faith. The tension is we sing new songs in the midst of adversity. The tension is I worship no matter what my situation. My flesh isn't gonna dictate it. My circumstance isn't gonna dictate it. So we always contend for the faith delivered to us. But we also learn to find peace and rest in the midst of it. Now, a lot of people in the church have gotten very pretentious about this. And they never are honest about their situation. They just cover it up with religious platitudes and lackluster faith. They just quote scripture at it, but yet they're hurting and they're broken and they're never honest about it. God loves honesty. How you doing? <laughs> My mess. I can't breathe. I've had all kinds of crazy circumstances. My five-year-old clawed the eyes out of my nine-year-old today. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I can't breathe right now. But I know God's good. And I know he'll see me through. And I'm gonna maintain my position of rest. I'm not gonna lie about it, but I'm gonna also state, look, no matter what I'm going through, I know God's good. See, remember Romans 8, 28. All things, everybody say all things. God works together on your behalf for those that love him and who are called according to his purpose. Remember, you are called. Hence, God's gonna see it through. God looks at us and our response and how we handle the adversity and the difficulty. So I don't want you to be pretentious, but I want you to stay rested, love better, even in the most difficult time of your life. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this one last story with you. In Acts chapter 16, we get the story of Paul and Silas in prison. Now, most of you should know the story, but I'm gonna summarize it for you. Paul and Silas were divinely instructed to go to Macedonia. 
He wanted to go two other places prior to this, but the Holy Spirit and the weather patterns literally hindered him from going where he wanted to go. And then in the middle of the night, he has this supernatural vision where a man visits him in the night and pleads with him to come to Macedonia. So they ultimately go to Philippi, and when they get there, they meet Lydia by the river at a prayer meeting. In turn, she gets born again, her house gets born again, and the very first little tiny infant home church starts in Philippi. While they're there in Philippi, there's a slave girl following around. Who knows how old she is? Maybe junior high, teenager. But either way, she had psychic abilities. Really, she was a seer that had gone sideways. She was a fortune teller. And her psychic pimps were pimping her out to make money by fortune telling. This is the story. So for days, she follows around Paul and Silas. These men are from God. Listen to what they have to say. She was right, but it was a distraction. And finally, after a couple of days, Paul turns around and casts a demon out of her, which then infuriates her psychic pimps. And the psychic pimps go and grab hold of Paul and Silas and drag them into town and basically accuse them before the magistrates of flipping the upside down, stopping their trade business, and basically ruining what they're doing. So guess what they do? They throw them in prison. Now, this prison wasn't a normal prison. In fact, they were sent into the inner court of the prison, which today would be the lockdown. When they get into the prison, they shackle their feet with irons. And before they got there, they whipped them to bleeding with whips. So now imagine this. You're getting thousands of years ago, you're getting thrown into a dungeon that's dirty, filthy, nasty. You have streaming blood down your back, whips and stripes on your back. There's no Advil. There's no medic. There's no cold packs. In fact, if you don't get help quickly, you're going to get an infection and you'll die. Now, they're thrown into prison unjustly. They didn't do anything wrong. They were just obedient to the Lord. And while they're in prison with their ankles shack shackled, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 20, I believe it is. It says that, or 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Let me say this about your midnight hour, your darkest night of your soul. I don't know what song they were singing. It may have been like, we're gonna die, Lord. It could have been the funeral dirge. We don't know that they were praising and dancing. No one knows the type of song that they were singing, right? But what we do know is in the darkest night with no light, because later when the when the earthquake came and broke down the, the prison bars and notice this, all the prisoners were set free, which means an earthquake came and all their shackles came off and not one of them was hurt. Only God could have done that. It says that the, the jailer called for a light. What if God has a plan to do something miraculous in your oppressor's life? What if the people you hate the most in this country, whoever it is, fill in the blank, what if God has an incredible plan for them while we complain against them? What if God wants to save them and use you to do it? What if your prison cell was designed to bring a song that sets other captives free? Because look, others were listening to them. And when the, get, when the, when the bars came down and the shackles came, on, came off, guess what? No one ran. They were arrested by the Holy Spirit in that moment. 
So what you've got to understand is there's a, it's easy to praise and worship post-breakthrough. What about singing and worshiping pre-breakthrough? I want to dance like David danced. And I don't expect you to. I get it. My wife's, look, my wife is, unless God just arrests her, she's like, I'm going to worship God, but I'm not going to ever feel forced or pressured to dance. And I don't ever want that for her. And I don't want that for you. What I want you to do is enjoy the presence, celebrate. And if you can sway, sway. If you can sing, sing. And you all can. And rejoice in the Lord. I want to, I want to worship when Mary, like Miriam did. And I want to dance like David did. And I want to sing like Paul and Silas did. How about you? Right? No matter your circumstance, we're going to worship we're going to sing, we're going to praise, and we're going to dance. Now, we're about to cut loose, and let me just say, none of y'all have to do it, but would you enjoy this moment as we celebrate together with the Lord? Let's all stand.